You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And that's the rhythm I can dance to. Oh, I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to. That one big heart that's beating fast. Tomorrow morning, let it rain. Tomorrow morning, let it pour. Tonight we're in the groove together. Ain't gonna worry about stormy weather. Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drunk. Beat out old Welcome to Radical Australia and Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscano. The producer is the the astute, the intelligent Kelly Whitworth. Not Kerry. I said Kelly. That's right. That's your twin sister. That's right. The one that you've had since you were a little girl that that's, nobody else has right. seen. That's I right. know. They usually come when you're young, you know, a twin. Yeah. They don't come when you're later. That's you right. Know, that's yeah. how it works. And, and this one's been with you. Lucky you're the good one. She's the <laughs> evil one. <laughs> Thanks for Now, that, that laughter in the background, for a person who's familiar with radio, that was very unprofessional. <laughs> but that was Kirsten Lindsay. Hello, Kirsten. Hello, Joe and... <laughs> Kelly, I nearly said Kerry there, Joe, you put me off track. <laughs> that was the whole point. That was the whole point. Hello, Joe and Kerry. Uh, I said it again. <laughs> Kelly. I've been talking to Kelly for weeks now. We're really? Um, thank you for having me, and I thought this was the gardening show, but it's obviously not. <laughs> no, look... Uh Kirsten, I'm going to tell you a little dream I've got. It's kind of one of these wet dreams you don't want to share with people. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's creepy. Yeah, it's a bit creepy, but it, uh, it's, it's about language. I love language. I love, I love words, right, you know? And when people say to me, thank you for having me, I'm thinking, hmm, that's got a double meaning. Well, you didn't bring me into this world, Joe, and you're certainly not taking me out. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. Now, Kirsten, this name is familiar. Have you kind of trotted the boards at 3CR at any time in your life? Yeah. So uh, when I uh, came down from Brisbane, uh, I think it was around 1999, I worked uh, with Charendev and Dono on the Doing Time show. Oh, yep. And Marissa and Pete and... Uh, Hillary as well, Hillary Harper on Undercurrents and yep. um, a couple of other programs as well. So, uh, yeah, definitely um, spent a bit of time on and off over about 10 years at 3CR. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and but I, I knew of you before then, Joe, because I um, started off in my radio um, journey in 1993 in Brisbane at 4 Triple Z FM and we used to, 
listened to the Anarchist World this week. Ooh. So I knew of you before I even got to Melbourne. Oh, and, did, uh, and was I as rude as I was normally with you, or was I pleasant because you're a fellow Queenslander? Well, I didn't know this, that you're a fellow Queenslander until yesterday, but I, it didn't matter because I actually, um, you know, at that age I was only 23 and I was entering uh, a new world, um, I guess, uh, after growing up in Logan City uh, between Brisbane and the Gold Coast and going into Triple Z and, and oh, you know, I've been to a few environmental um, rallies, uh, protection rallies and stuff, but I was entering into the new world of uh, politics and activism, um, learning about anarchism and, mm. um, yeah, some of the different elements around, um, you know, autonomy and sovereignty and things like that as a young person and the fact that things weren't quite what they seemed. We weren't really being told the truth. Mm. So it was very interesting for me to learn about a, a society or a way of life that was different what we've been conditioned in and that uh, was, was sort of a very pivotal time for me in a turning point um right. yeah just as far as choices i made i mean i was going in the wrong way i'd been homeless i'd uh, had you know issues with addiction and mental health so i was facing the criminal justice system at that age and um it was because of my friends at triple z uh, heather and donna and a lot of people along the way in the Murray community that um, my life completely changed and I had something to focus on instead of going, at, you know, I had a lot of lessons to learn, but it mm. gave me something to channel That's right. that anger into. Mm. Instead of self-destructing, you became what I call a star. Well... Because there's two types of activists. There's meteorites and stars, and meteorites self-destruct and stars continue for ages and obviously... You're one of those activists that's still around. Now, I want to go back a little bit. What year were you born? 71. I just turned 50. Oh, congratulations. I've just, I've just, scored, <laughs> I've just scored three score and ten. I've, I've reached my biblical age. I'm, a, you know, about to be discarded, I think. Oh, hang on. I, I don't know that math. So well, that's three 70. Score. Three score and ten. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Three score. very young, young-looking 70-year-old. Oh, oh, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Must be all the gardening you do, though. Yeah, it is, and other things I do which I can't share on air. Now, <laughs> all, the, all the drugs you did in the sixties or whatever. No, I, I was one of those sixties rebels and seventies rebels that never actually got into the drugs because I was a medical student. I realised what it did to your brain. But let's get back to you. Yeah. You were born in seventy one. Where were you born? Born in Woolloongabba at the Mata. Um, Woolloongabba. Yeah, I'm a Gabba babe. I was, hey, I was born in South you... Brisbane. The Jagra Nation, or Yagra Nation, yeah. Right. Well, I'm a, I spent uh, 11 months at the Woolloongabba Mater Hospital as a nine-year-old. Okay. Yeah, so we're in the same hospital. The Woolloong- so, <laughs> it's got a lot to... That's like... You, you go ahead. Of, yep, no, you, I'm just thinking, okay, so you had a childhood illness. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I had what's called glomerulonephritis, which is a virus of the kidneys, and in those days there was no treatment. I was just sent there to die, but fortunately for the world and, prefer- and myself, I survived. And a lot of people say that was a mistake, but that's the way it goes. Now... Well, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's interesting you say that, because I was born with congenital heart disease. Right. And spent a lot of my childhood in hospital, mm-hmm. and I think that was a big part of what my issues 
you know, growing up as well as some other stuff. So, mm. um, yeah. And so when did you grow up in Brisbane? Yeah, I, I was born in Brisbane. I was born in 51. I grew up in Brisbane and I left in 76, but that's another story. But getting back to you, you said you had congenital heart disease. Did that mean you needed operative intervention? Yeah, so I had a, a mustard repair when I was six. Right. I had a, like a transposition of the major artery. Oh, that's, so, a, that's a huge problem. Yeah, and I, I've died and come back a couple of times. My heart stopped. I've now got a ICD implant mm-hmm. and, I've had, you know, have troubles walking and stuff now. Mm. But I had to give up the, the, you know, alcohol and other drugs mm. and try and look after myself um, and not self-destruct yes. because... You know, I obviously had a reason to be around and didn't really want to hurt my family over it either. So, yeah, so that was interesting. And I think a lot of my behaviour problems and issues that led me to facing the criminal justice issue, uh, uh, issues, yeah, the criminal justice issue is because I spent a lot of time institutionalised as a child in hospital. Mm. So, yeah, but anyway, that's... A little bit of that. You raise a very important point because obviously if you spend a lot of time in hospital, your relationships with your family are different to your other siblings, you know, because you kind of feel you're kind of an outsider. You're not really part of the whole thing. Did you did you feel that? Because that's what I felt. Yeah, I've always been a bit of a, a, well, a bit of a loner, but always never felt like I fitted in. But then there's that whole thing of, having behaviour problems and that not being addressed in school. So, you know, I got expelled and suspended in high school and uh, kicked out of home and, uh, yeah, just, I was just a wreck, really. I mm. didn't really, I mean, there's other stuff in the family as well, uh, but just, you know, just was a bit lost and couldn't focus. You know, I, I felt high school English like three times and it's interesting how, I've now kind of moved into the space of being a senior journalist, but it took me a lot of work over the last whatever years, thirty years or so, to um, mm. to get to that point. Because I had trouble, um, you know, I was smart, but I, I, my my motor skills hadn't developed properly, so I had um, behavioural problems, and that's you know issues within the education system and not knowing what was out there at the time to get me to a point where I could actually excel or achieve. Mm. It's it's very difficult when you're thrown out of the family home. Do, do you want to go into that area or you want to skip it? Uh, I mean, you know, I was a bit of a, a wild child and I guess there's the, you know, the issues of uh, family violence and mm. um, alcoholism and things like that, mm. you know. Uh, so it was more, and, of a, more of a mutual parting, was it? No, it wasn't no. my choice. It wasn't your um, choice. How old yeah. were you? Uh, I was just turning 18, so it's quite still old old for a person, you know, a young person being kicked out, but I, um, the way that it happened was quite uh, traumatic, and I, you know, was very lost and um, naughty. For <laughs> a naughty guest. <laughs> for a long time, because, you know, I didn't have the guidance and support I needed, and that's a big thing, and that's how this, you know, activism and learning more about anarchism and, um, yeah, sedition. Oh, sedition. <laughs> it came a way to channel that into something positive. And it was not only about me learning to be empowered and to use my voice, but then it got to a point in my, my life where I was able to support others to do the same. And that's what it's all about. It's all about empowerment. It's, all, it's about having the opportunities and 
feeling the disparity, you know, and making everyone have the same rights. And yeah, let's that was get, the let's, big thing. Yeah, let's go back to you you're being naughty. Um, was this naughty against property or naughty against people? <laughs> or uh, both? <laughs> not really people, but uh, I, I, I don't know. Just, you know, just issues uh, with, yeah, probably more so property and um, not respecting, you know, certain environments or not respecting myself. But I learned. So I got pulled into line, you know, over a couple of years and, would never I, go back. Yeah, I just want to go. To I it. just, I just want to go back because I think this is a good lesson for other people that's, listening. You're digging, you're, you're digging too deep, Joe. Well, that's go there. well. It's fifty-four minutes now. I'm going to be polite <laughs> and nice. So much more. <laughs> I'm sure there's so much more, but I think what happens to us it determines what we become or don't become. So I just want to go back to that bit. I don't want to ask the ins and outs. I just want general things like. Did you end up before a magistrate at any stage? Just, I did remember walking out of the courtroom and giving the judge the finger at one point. But <laughs> I think I was arrested a couple of times and I did have warrants. Yeah, but I'm just saying, did the criminal justice system, your your interaction with the criminal justice system, did, no. it, did it have any in, impact on you? Well... It was only that I was lucky that I didn't get caught, mm-hmm. and because I actually escaped custody after being arrested one night, and the whole town was looking for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also got arrested for swearing at police. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so you weren't public enemy number one; you were public nuisance number one. Is that right? Oh yeah, and then our house got raided in Highgate Hill right. for drugs and stuff, and I was just about to leave Brisbane. It was definitely time for me to go because right. I think if I had a state I would have been but I had I was lucky I, I was you know extremely lucky I had really good people like good friends like Heather and Donna and a few other people that really took me under their wing and brought me into triple Z and you know I went there myself but they they adopted me and then I got you know got to go home to the Musgrave Park mob and you know was living a life in West End with the um, you know, a narco mob and the uh, Murray's mm. Murray community, yep. and that was a really great. Um, you know, my life changed. You know, my life changed. I got to meet Uncle Sam Watson, who is now deceased, and yes. he was like a, a mentor, and yes. he taught me how to interview people around um, black death and custody, yes. and um, I was really guided by that community, and we had a really great relationship between the. The whole Bolus, you know, um, anarchist space that was down in West End there, and the Murray community, and all the mob at the mo- hostel and at Musgrave Park, mm-hmm. um, and they were our teachers, you know, and that that was life changing. When one of the young fellows um, from the community, Booney, died in custody, Uncle Lionel Fogarty's nephew, um, that was really a massive turning point. I. I didn't look back after that. I, I mean, I did, but I, that was, I, I knew what I wanted to do. Gotcha. And it wasn't about my issues anymore. It was about justice and looking at the links between land rights and the ju- criminal justice system and, you know, human rights. Mm-hmm. And it went from interviewing our elders in the community. I got to interview also Miriam Ortega from Chile. Mm-hmm. You know, it was one of my first interviews as yes. well. 
aside from Uncle Kev Carmody and Uncle Archie Roach and Aunty Ruby and the Tittis and all that mob, you know, Maruchi Baramba. Mm. This is like my first years of journalism and, mm. you know, got to interview Miriam Montega and uh, from Chile had been locked in a men's prison through the um, dictatorship. And I, I'm a kid from Logan City at that time. I knew very little, you know. I didn't know about the way of the world. I'm just going to ask you. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a few questions about your environment because a lot of listeners uh, all over Australia aren't familiar with a lot of these terms. So tell us about Logan City. What type of place is it? Logan City is um, on the. I think it's like on the um, Yugamba-Turable um, borders boundaries. That's where I grew up. So Logan. There's a lot of Aboriginal communities um, that were, uh, you know, pretty much forced to live there. I think through, like, Logan and Anala on the south side, mm-hmm. and then a lot of, like, the suburbs on the northern side, a lot yeah. of the was, black communities, yeah. and then a lot of the Vietnamese and, and that, that came in through the, um, the war were also came into country. So a lot of white people, white fellas, you know, and um, it was black fella country, but... We, you know, we grew up under the regime of Joe Bjelke-Peterson and there was um, a division between, very massive division uh, between black and white uh, in Logan and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, disadvantage for black fellas in Logan City. Um, beautiful country and now it's, it is also a very thriving uh, black community as well as Mobs that have come in from overseas more, so it's very, uh, you know, uh, cross-cultural and diverse, which is great. But it was, you know, it was a hard place. I mean, I grew up on the, the white side of the fence, but we were also a mixed family uh, with, you know, black roots as well. And mm-hmm. But we, you know, we saw our um, own issues too, but there was a lot of um, segregation and a lot of the mob, you know, particularly around Woodridge and all that. Um, that had a totally different life to what I was brought up with, you know, even though I did have my own issues. So, um, you know, that's something not to be mm. forgotten either. No. Could you tell us um, a little bit about the role that uh, Musgrave Park and Mu- the Musgrave Grave mob play in the black community, in and the Murray community, I should say, in uh, southern Queensland? Yeah, so it's, it's a it's a gathering ceremonial ground, uh, Musgrave Park, uh, Kurilpa and um, Yagara, I think. And I, I I will have the language name uh, wrong because I you know left when I was twenty three and I didn't even get to learn uh, my history from where I was born in the Gabba there. But um, it was a healing it was a healing ground, a ceremonial ground, a meeting ground. You know, um, a lot of the mob that come in from the different communities. Not only the traditional owners from the country there, but a lot of the mobs that came in, like from Sherbourg particularly, which I just went last week for work. Um, a lot of the Brisbane Valley mob, you know, sort of ended up in around West End and that. Um, it was a, a place... Woolongabba was originally like the battleground, apparently, on the Mianjin River, and that's where the tribes would come and have their, their, their battles, lay, you know, lay down their weapons and then walk away... Um, but, you know, of course, it was a place where people were brought in from their country and put into missions. And so it was like a place like Fitzroy as far as, 
meeting place and ceremonial ground. Like, um, and that place traditionally was the ceremonial ground for the traditional owners, but then they you know, put in a boundary street and all the mob weren't allowed to go over the boundary to go into town and um, you know, people do stay in the park and gather in the park and it's, it's a home ground. That's the, that's the stomping ground there. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's really been, I mean, uh, it's been the, um, I think, a throbbing heart of uh, resistance uh, in Queensland. Even Bielke Peterson wasn't able to shut it down and uh, remove uh, Murray's from that uh, park, and they tried on a number of occasions. Yeah, and, and a lot of the um, sort of migrant communities from Europe had come, come into West End and brought up a lot around that park, but that park still managed to survive, you know, amongst all that. And those communities came in from war too. I mean, none of us... Uh, there wouldn't know many people that aren't descendants of war in one way, no matter what your your background is, but there was a lot of issues, you know, for the mob there. Um yeah, there's a beautiful energy to that park. Uh, they have a lot of big festivals and rallies and, uh, you know, ceremonies. Uh, it's it's a very special place. And you kind of go back in time when you go there. It's interesting. Mm. You have this big city around you, but when you're in um, Musgrove, you know, you're, you're definitely on a home ground there. Right. You said you walked, you yourself walked into 4 Z. What made you take that journey? Uh, it's weird because I had a high school teach a couple of high school teachers actually. Cheryl Curnow was a teacher of mine. Oh, the premier, um, no, the senator and premier, wasn't it? Senator, senator yeah, Cheryl? she yeah. was. But they yeah. they paid her out because yeah. she was a woman. Mm. Um, you know, they brought her private life into the. That's into right. The she was having an affair for another person, which will remain nameless. <laughs> yeah. no, as if having an affair is a criminal offence. But go on. Yeah. Yeah, um, Cheryl was an amazing teacher, and this was at the school that they'd sent me to that I ended up getting expelled from. But she said to me, if you ever find something you really like, you're going to be really good at it. And then I had, um, in when I went to the public school, I got wasn't allowed to study film and TV because I had got the, I had really, I had like the lowest tertiary entrance score in Queensland. I was, you know, a <laughs> bit of a dud, but... Um, they wouldn't let me do film and TV. So by the time I got to my early 20s, I was like, going to be an actress or, mm-hmm. a, you know, and I wanted, or a radio broadcaster. So I thought I'd go and volunteer at the Zeds and, um, yeah, sort of it went from there. And I'm glad I, I, mean, I'm glad I didn't uh, become an actress or anything. Mm-hmm. I, I, my journey has, you know, been, for me personally, very challenging, but I've had a wonderful life. I've gone from interviewing mob, you know, right through different areas of Australia. I've gone and sat down with elders on the ground and talked. I've uh, got had some experience. I've had a lot of time in community radio um, as a volunteer and in employed capacity and even got to manage a program at SBS for Living Black and mm-hmm. uh, NITV Radio, you know, and even go out and sit on the ground with elders out at Lurikata Judah. So um, I, I can't... That journey is a really spiritual journey, but it was based on the grounds of my activism, you know, and wanting to support people to have a voice and to share those stories. Mm-hmm. Really important. Yeah, I want you to go back. I want you to go back um, to that first day. You stepped foot in four triple Z. Tell us how you felt. 
excited because, you know, after growing, I guess growing um, up in a, a place where I sort of, I don't know, like, like I had, I've got great friends from high school that are still my mates, mm-hmm. but it was like a, a new world, you know, it was alternative people, um, you know, got to learn a lot of different skills, so I was encouraged no, hang on, to be able Hang on, hang on, you're a journalist, answer the question. <laughs> How did you feel? You stepped in, this is a totally foreign environment to you, were they friendly, were they off-puttish, or what was it like, that, that, that feeling? No, that's really lovely and down yeah. to earth. yeah. Yeah, well, that is yeah, four triples there. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, just an alternative environment to mm-hmm. a new world. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. All right. So, how long did you last the Triple Z for? I was there for a couple of years, and I, I le- I'll tell you why I left Brisbane because I was do- I did a sound engineering ta- um, course at TAFE, and I was actually uh, sexually assaulted. So I left Brisbane uh, in my early twenties and my family, and my country, and I went to Sydney. Um, but oh, that, that that, that's, that's a mistake, going to Sydney. I love Sydney. Oh. I got, I, no wonder I you've got, gone back to Brisbane from Melbourne then. No, I was in <laughs> Melbourne for 20 years. I got flogged in Melbourne. I did have some great experiences. and very, let's, go, let's go back to Sydney. Let's go back to Sydney. You love no, Sydney. What did you love about it? Did you go to Redfern and live there or something? Oh, no, I lived near Redfern. I did yeah. go into the Redfern community, but I... Um, so I ended up um, work, doing some volunteer work at Black Rose mm-hmm. and because I previously had done some... Uh, yeah, just, to, just explain to people what Black Rose was. Black Rose is the anarchist bookshop yep. in Sydney. It was in Newtown at the time. And Rena Gabarov had left, was leaving Sydney. She was one of my good friends from a band called Fly Cop and she used to run the bookshop. Oh, now I have to tell you, before that I went to Visions of Freedom in Sydney, when Noam Chomsky was there. Yeah, Uh, I've got a funny story from that, but... That's at Sydney Town Hall. Yeah, and... I was at the the same meeting. We didn't cross paths. No, but I I knew who... There were about 2,000 people there. (laughs) I I know, and I was too stoned to ask him a question. I I, I lined up and everything, and, and was so stoned that I ended up being the last person and then I was sort of like well where to from here Noam and and then it was like and the guy cut me off yeah. I, I finally got the guts to walk up to the to ask him a question after all that time yeah. but um I loved that I'll just say about that what I loved about the anarcho space was um the workshops work learning more about feminism anarcho feminism and eco activism I loved um, being in more of a safe space than I've probably been in ever, mm-hmm. even though it's not entirely safe, but it was something that was different to what you know I was used to. I, I, I made some very long life friends from that time, mm-hmm. um, and it was exciting, you know. Well, really I, I must admit, yes, yeah, Sydney was exciting then. I, look, I, I went to a fair few things in Sydney. It did have that vibe, but it was only a, a very small, marginalised community we were at that stage. Yeah. And I loved I loved the fact when I ended up moving there, because I was working as a sound assistant in a, a recording studio, and then I ended up mixing like Blitz Babies and Subversion and mm. Drawback and uh, Noisem and a heap of, heap of crew from that, because I ended up becoming a sound engineer and 
mixing punk bands as well as a radio broadcaster. But so I ended up um, doing some stuff with the Oxford Babylon crew, like with Rena and um, Brett, mm-hmm. who were at Black Rose and Oxford Babylon. And then, unfortunately, Lena, uh, Rena left and moved down to Gippsland, where she uh, where she's now looking after the um, our beautiful animals down there in the, the bush. And um, yeah, we're sort of yeah organised gigs there at the at the space and gigs at um, venues and did some stuff on Oxford Babylon at Skid Row and then got into uh, audiovisual tech tech stuff. So this is where the activism came into education because I kind of cottoned on that it was definitely about education and it was about also empowering people to be able to use technology and right. audiovisual equipment. Mm. And so I kind of. That's where I focus that into, and especially women. But you know, education is about empowerment, mm. and in whatever capacity, you know, it doesn't matter. Now, Kirsten, so yeah, I'm going to say something. You, you were very brave mixing all that punk stuff. What's your hearing like? Well, it's interesting, <laughs> Joe, because when I first was unemployed as a teenager, I wanted to be, I wanted to teach uh, sign language, right? Yep. yep. And and Centrelink, I think it was something else before then, wouldn't let me do a sign language course mm. in West End because they said there was no need for it. But they sent me to this sound engineering course down at uh, West End there. Yep. I, I wanted to teach sign language. And mm. they was like, there's no industry for it. So I nearly blew my ears out. Oh, COVID-19 has made sign language a very <laughs> profitable industry. Every television screen, there's somebody doing signing. <laughs> Department of Social Insecurity. Yeah. That's right. That DSS. That they they wouldn't put me through yeah. a, a deaf sign course, but they put me through sound. Yeah, but how's so, your hearing? How's your hearing? Come on. You, I mean, mixing mixing that type of stuff is injurious to the ears. I reckon. Well, I'm a bit of a nana now, so uh-huh. it's all about the earplugs. I, I did blow my ears out a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Um, Definitely. Because you've got, to look, you've got to look look after your health. I mean, you said you've got a defibrillator. When, when did that go, go in? Um, my heart stopped in 2018. Ooh, we'll talk about that later on. This sounds exciting. <laughs> we don't. We don't. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you time to think about this question, like about 15 to 20 minutes. But uh, when Kerry Packer's heart stopped and he was revived with, uh, you know, with the paddles... He said there was nothing on the other side, so I'm going to ask you <laughs> at the end of the program whether there's anything on the other side. I may have to change my opinion, you know, as an atheist. <laughs> oh no, I've I've got I've got I I, I went to the other side as a child, oh. and then I went to the other side again as, as an adult. Oh. So I I I remember it. Oh, well, tell us about the child when you went across as a child to the other side. What do you remember? Well, I had awareness where I was actually. Well, so I was born blue, so mm-hmm. apparently I, um, my, you know, they had to kind of revive me in my birth, which mm-hmm. was quite traumatic for me and my mama. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and so I told my sister apparently, because my sister asked what, my baby sister Alison, who's um, now an iron woman, mm-hmm. she's not a baby anymore, <laughs> she's definitely <laughs> but anyway, Alison asked me, what it was like to to die or something or or in heaven, and I told her um, that it was like sitting on um, floaty clouds eating hot chips or something. Whoa, I like that. So yeah, so that that's 
that's not bad. And I do also remember having awareness and going over the surgeons when they were looking onto me right. um, with the surgery. But right. And that was a big fear for me as I was older, having more mm. surgeries on my heart because I uh, uh, I had to have been monitored for that. Right, right. Well, you know, you, you are... You are a credit to all the effort we went to in the 60s and 70s to get a universal healthcare system, Medibank and then Medicare, because obviously uh, if we didn't have a universal healthcare system, you and I wouldn't be on this planet, would we? Well, I know. And, I'm, you know, I was really lucky at that Royal Melbourne Hospital for nearly 20 years before I come back home in the last couple of months. I did get stopped at the border for three months, Joe, and that's did another you? story. Yeah, all right. Let's, yeah. let's, let's go back. You, can't, you, you got sick of Sydney and you came to Melbourne. I don't know why you No, I, <laughs> I, I love Sydney. I bought mm. the bus off. I worked at the University of Technology as a mm. uh, classroom services assistant. I used to catch the bus after working and go and swim in the ocean. Mm. And then, but I kind of had an opportunity to live in a... I had trouble with housing. Right. And, and I was only working, like, casual, so... I came to Melbourne thinking I was going to... I had a house to move into, but that was a bit hectic for me. And um, I just didn't really fit into Melbourne. I, I tried really hard and I stayed on to do a, a, a diploma in audiovisual technology. And I, I, work, I did some volunteer work for the advocacy program with women in prison through Darabin and Coburg Legal Services. And, um, you know, the same work through, like, um, what... Sharon and Donna right. been doing for a very long time. Mm. So I went out to the women's prison at Deer Park and Tarangawa and um, did that for a few years and then sort of had a few mental health crisis and heart crisis and um, another assault along the way, which which is why I ended up in heart failure again. So right. I, I got flogged in Melbourne. I had a I met some wonderful people and I was, you know, lucky I only died Kerr and um, a lot of elders. I learnt, a lot I learnt in Melbourne from my elders there mm-hmm. and I learnt a lot about law and women's business and and that part I am very grateful for and I, I feel sad. I, you know, it was a hard part for me to leave but I needed to come home, you know, a long time ago. But um, I learnt the way of the world in Melbourne. And so I, I, so you know, how many years were you here in Melbourne? 20, 21. 21 years, almost half your life. I know. Do you think it was? Uh, do you think it was wasted? No. No, and it's, it's surprising, isn't it? You come into a, a much smaller uh, Koori community than the Murray community, and the fact that the way you were welcomed into that community, especially from the women of that community, that, that's that's uh, that's always something that happens around the country. I've noticed. Well, it's interesting because I. Um when Aunty Sue Charles walked from Adelaide to Uluru to raise awareness about climate change and her seven sister story, it was in 2007. You know, and everyone was saying that she was mad and all this, and mm. she was warning everyone about what was coming. And I worked with her and the Mayor Healing Centre with um, two of my elders, of my elders up there. Um, that was my beginning of my healing journey. Uh, so I uh, supported Aunty Sue with her media. And um, it got to know a lot of the communities through that way. And um, that was a very spiritual time for me because I was finally tapping into uh, my connection and, and spirituality and starting to 
learn about healing was through Uncle Reg Blow and um, his wife, my auntie there, and they've mm. passed on now, but mm. um, I met a lot of people in the community through that healing centre up in Thornbury. Mm. I lived in Thornbury for about uh, only 15 years at a couple of places, so I was very close to the League, Aboriginal Advancement League, and uh, very, I got to support. I wanted to, while I was in country, for me, it was, I, I felt like I, you know, I had to, I wanted to give back, so I broadcast content for the community and very, you know, heavily involved in, and even married in at one point, you know, mm-hmm. to the community there. But mm-hmm. I found my my own um, identity and spirituality in Melbourne and the um, Wurrung Nation. And Annie Dyker, you know, she, she's been a loving heart to me. And those elders there, Annie, uh, lots of the women there, you know, just help bring me up, really, yeah. into a, become a woman. Mm. So can I ask you, a lot of people with a Western orientation wouldn't understand the concept of a healing journey. Could you tell us what a healing journey is and what it did for you? Okay. You know, coming from uh, having my own issues with addiction and mental health and, and you know, heart health, uh, connecting in with elders and country... It's where you have to get back to yourself and face your stuff. You know, you got to... Like, I could have just covered it up and self-medicated and, like, you know, and just killed myself, basically. Which I nearly did a couple of times, but mm-hmm. I got connected through the fire and I think Camp Sovereignty also, meeting some of the elders through Camp Sovereignty and kind of connecting with that fire. You know, that was the big thing. And that time where people were given a chance to talk about their feelings instead of having it shut down, because I spent my whole life being shut down, you know, coming from... And I love my family. I, my family and my heart, you know. But a lot of... Everyone was shut down. They weren't allowed to express their emotions. And that's why we've got so many people in the jails. We've got so many people sad and lonely and sick because their emotional and spiritual well-being hasn't been nurtured. So for me, that's what I feel healing's about. You know, I, my great great grandmother, um, my mum's side, uh, she was a herbalist. So I followed that line to um, learn about herbalism and uh, med- plant medicine, and um, you know, I'm learning Reiki. So I had to sort of heal myself, and I'm hoping that in that process, I can kind of attach dis- uh, myself a bit more from the matrix and actually work on supporting other people with their healing. Mm. Um, yeah, but we need that. We, we need it. We need how, how hard was it for you personally to embark on this journey? I think the hardest part was actually that I wasn't home on country. Mm-hmm. I mean, my mother's, so my mother's nanny's people were from the Wiradjuri Nation, Western New South. We somehow ended up in southeast Queensland. And my, I've got a lot of, uh, on my father's side, Scottish heritage from Queensland, they migrated to Queensland and then my mum's side as well, um, the English and the Irish. So I guess for me, I, it was killing me. I was getting in, I was going to hospital, having my heart zapped back into rhythm. I was, I put myself into a mental health facility because I had psychosis from, you know, smoking drugs. Like, you know, I was 
wrecking myself. Right. So I had to come through the other side of that, and I was lucky I could do that. You know, I've been cleared from all that stuff with the psychosis, but that was hard work. You know, that was hard work. I had good guidance from elders and people who, and even my mum's sister who helped bring me up too. They were always there, and I was just and great friends that stuck by me even when they probably should have walked away from me, you know, mm-hmm. at different times. So it's definitely about that support and knowing that there's something bigger out there than, you know, just the crap that you're forced to live with or conditioned with. That there's, Like, I really, like, Joe, one of the things I really support because I'm becoming a trainer for broadcasters now, mm-hmm. I really want people to learn about their own magic. Because for me, I learned through healing and tapping into my own spirituality and connecting to country, I learned about the true magic of this earth and my own. And that might sound a bit hippie, but no, no, we, no, no, have, no. we have to see that in ourselves. And like from all the work that you've done and all the information that's out there about having communities that are healing themselves and families that are healing themselves, no one else is going to do it for us. Waiting for the government to put more money into something isn't going to do it. We have to heal ourselves and each other. Mm. And the only way, that's the only way. Could you describe what spirituality means to you? Well, I know, we ask the hard questions here on Radical Australia. It's not an easy one. I know. Because <laughs> we're interested in the person. We're interested in the person. Obviously, we all do things, but... You know, the, the things that drive us to do things, and that's what I'm interested in exploring with you. All right. So it's our being on, on the earth, like putting our feet on the ground, standing in your own power, like all your, as the Hawaiians say, your mana, you know. Mm-hmm. It's uh, listening to the signs from the birds, or you might get a, a visit from a lizard. Like, and, and loving that, you know, um, Silence is really good. When I had, because I was diagnosed at one point, and I have never disclosed this on radio, so here we go. Right. I got, when I had psychosis, I was mm. diagnosed with like mild spectrum, spectrum dis, uh, dis, <laughs> disorder. Yes. Schizophrenia. Yep. So I have it's just a, It's just a label. Well, yeah, and it was because I was hearing voices mm. and getting messages, but because I wasn't looking after myself, the Chinese doctor that I went to, the traditional Chinese medicine man mm. up in Northcote there said mm. there's spirits everywhere and they attach themselves more to you if you're poisoning your heart, mm-hmm. the, the blood in your heart. And I really took notice of that because as a kid I'd get warnings about someone dying or I'd know something was going to happen. We have to listen to our intuition because of all the times that I've got warnings and didn't do it, something went wrong. So Spirituality is definitely about your your intuition and connection to our universe that we're in. There's more to it than this, you know, the bricks and shit that we see in front of us. Mm. We are connected to this universe and this earth very much. Those stars, it's big. And if we can see ourselves being people like that and not the people that we're forced to become, then we can stand in our power more. Mm. So I guess that's more... Right. Okay, that's what I've learned. Right. Now, you said you had a defibrillator inserted in 2018, an internal defibrillator. Could you... What, what led to that? 
Well, you basically um, needed to be resuscitated on numerous occasions? No, I didn't have to be resuscitated. Mm. I went into heart failure again, Mm -hmm. and I'd been assaulted by someone in my home that I dated, and I had PTSD, Mm -hmm. and I kept... This is when I was living in Thornbury. Mm -hmm. And I kept working, and there was this part of me that was... I was working full-time when I was at SBS, Mm. and I... Part of me inside was screaming. I needed to stop. Uh, it was my body was just pack, packing it in because I already had heart failure a couple of years ago, and I they had to put a stent in. Right. But I did. I didn't listen to my body, and I didn't address my PTSD. Mm-hmm. So I kept going and trying to keep up. All of a sudden, I went into heart failure again. I had a lot of fluid on my body, could hardly walk. Ended up putting myself into hospital, and that night my heart stopped. And I ended up. I was remember I was in bed at and I was falling asleep, and I just felt the drop, mm-hmm. and I pictured myself falling off the bed, and I actually hadn't felt fallen off the bed, but the nurse came, and she was like, Kirsten, and she says, your heart just stopped, and it only stopped for five seconds, mm-hmm. but it was enough that it was an issue, and they decided then that it was time to put a defibrillator in, which actually... Because my heart had gone into arrhythmia and was sitting at 140, right. which was very painful. And they decided I needed a defibrillator that would pace it and mm-hmm. also zap it back into rhythm if it yes. ever stopped. Mm. And after that, I, was, I never recovered properly. Like, I no. could, could hardly walk. Um, no. I'm, I'm on the good wicket now and getting my steps up and stuff, but I just got to a point where I could hardly bloody walk. Mm. Let's go, so when, what made you go back to Brisbane? Did you feel that an urge to go back or did you feel your life was coming to an end or did you just want to start again? All of that. I didn't want to die in Melbourne. <laughs> I can understand that. I've <laughs> I'm, been buried in Brisbane. The, the family knows that's where I'm going, where I was born with, with my parents. So I agree. I don't want to be buried here. Yeah. I, I've been to a lot of funerals in the community of real young fellas yeah. and they just all of a sudden die, you know. Yeah. And for me, living on my own and living... In full isolation in, in Melbourne, unfortunately, because mm. of my heart condition. I yep. was on my own. But I was going home anyway. I needed to go home probably about 15, 10 years ago. Right. But I just couldn't get there. And finally, I was I was working um, at 3KD on the Family Violence Prevention Program and the, then the Treaty Engagement Program. And I was, just in the, I was only working part-time, but I was in the position where I could get my act together to, to save up to come home. And I was coming home, and then um, I didn't want my family to have to come down and get me if something happened, and I wanted to spend more time. My parents are in their 70s. Right. I wanted to heal with them. My, mm-hmm. nana, my nana Nola is 93 in January. Oh, that's and, great. And I just, I've got all these cousins and everyone up here, mm-hmm. and just like, I need to go home. Right, and you got stuck at the border for three months. Yeah, I just had to get an exemption to come home and home mm. quarantine because I had uh, medical appointments that I just needed to attend to for my heart. That was the only reason why I could get across the border. Mm. I was staying at a girlfriend's at Mwilumba, which was, you know, wonderful at the time because mm. I was looking for a place um, up here. But um, then all of a sudden they shut the border down and I, I couldn't get across. So it was like uh, nearly three months. Mm. I And I had to hustle to get to be able to drive half an hour over the border, which also impacted me because of the whole sovereignty and imaginary border issue. Mm. 
And then, you know, I just went into two weeks home quarantine and had to go through all that crap. But I was lucky I could get that, you know, and yeah. I, I, that was hard work to get mm. it. So. so so what are you doing in Queensland these days? Well, I'm very lucky. I live on the Kondamooka Nation, which is at, like, also known as Redland Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, Mum and Dad only live about half an hour drive away. Yes, do you know Coochie, a, you know Coochie Mudlow, don't you, if you live on Redland Bay? Yeah. Yeah, I was a, that was a stomping ground for me as a kid in the uh, 50s and oh, 60s. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's, it's beautiful country here, yeah. and I just went over mm. to Minjeriba for a uh, swim with one of my girlfriends oh. on the weekend. Oh, great. So I'm very blessed. Um, I've got a role as a project assistant with First Nations Media Australia mm. now. Um, working, I work from home, but um, so I'm working on an infrastructure audit. So what we're doing is for uh, remote uh, metro and regional uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander media orgs, we're working on an infrastructure order to look at the gaps in uh, disparity in equipment and infrastructure to try and lobby for um, funding reform so organisations can um, meet a certain benchmark of delivering content and running an organisation that'll take them into, you know, the next five years or whatever. Mm. So I just went to Sherberg Community last week. Ah, how's Sherberg these days? Oh, it was wonderful. Mm. Um, I'd never been there and one of my mum's... What, you've never been to Sherberg? What's wrong with you? I I was at Sherberg when I was a teenager. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, well... I assume it's gone a long way forward those days. It was terrible then. Well, I've got got a mum who was my mum at Musco Park, yeah. who's buried, buried out there. And um, I know a lot of elders from that mm, way, yeah. community mobs. So um, mm. I went out there and worked with the um, uh, four UM uh, crew, us mob crew out there right. to work, work on these. And I was, it was wonderful. Yeah. I, it was absolutely beautiful out there. And um, we worked on the audit and, yeah, yeah so... And I got to learn, you know, we talked really deeply about what their vision is for the future and their yes. training goals and yes. development. And yes, it's a remarkable really place, a remarkable place, a remarkable transformation over the years, and they've survived. Now, I was going to ask you two last questions as we're running out of time. The first one is, we don't have music on this program, but the producer, Kelly, told me you wanted a song played, and then you used the word segue, and I thought, oh, my God. God, what's this person on about? So, tell us about this song we're going to play at the end of the at the end of the chat. And I don't do interviews. You're a journalist. You do interviews. I'm just a has been. You know, I, I do chats. And then at the end, I, in the last minute or so, I want you to give us some advice as you've been through so much and you've survived. And not only survived, you've prospered. You've become a star, as I said. You're not a meteorite. You haven't burnt yourself out. So, what's this music? What's it all about? Well, I was talking to Kelly. Oh, Kelly, we don't care about her. The listeners don't listen to her because they can't hear Kelly's her. Kelly's unreal. <laughs> She's unreal. And we're talking about, I told her how in high school, the one that kicked me out, uh, the principal was actually a Catholic priest who ended up getting done on uh, <laughs> drink driving charges. But he. Oh, that's good. I thought it was going to be, you know, sexual abuse charges. At least no, it was only drink well, driving. That's all right. Yeah. And, um,. He, he called me a bad apple when mm. I was in high school and then mm. I remembered uh, I interviewed Briggs a couple of years ago when I was at SPS and I told him how, because he's got a song called Bad Apple, <laughs> and um, 
I said, I told him about that, how I was called a bad apple. Mm. And we just thought, oh, let's play that song. It's a, a, a wonderful song. It's, it's a bit rough, but it tells a true story about a lot of, um, you know, black fellas who really do come from disadvantage. And, um, you know, the, the story behind, uh, I guess, the way, you know, kids are brought up, how to yes. survive. Yes, you know, You know, and that's, that's why... All right, sounds right. Look, for, for you, because you're such an extraordinary human being, I'll make an exception as far as music is concerned. We'll listen to that. But last but not least, any advice for anybody who finds themselves struggling? Yeah, definitely find your magic, connect to country, keep your, keep your, you know, your people close and reach out. Sometimes you isolate yourself and mm. this COVID thing taught us even more to isolate, but reach out and it's, you know, if you want to cry down the phone to someone or a friend, if they're up for it, um, do it. And, and really empower yourself to find what you're really good at and just go for it and keep trying. Mm. Just mm. keep trying no matter what. If you have to stay up late to do something or if, you have, if you've got a passion for it, no matter what capacity, you will, you know, you will shine and, and, and just always, you know, be a student, but use, use your power as well and... To empower yourself, and maybe you can also empower someone else. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand this concept of uh, country. Can we all kind of attach ourselves to country, or do you have to be a First Nations person? No, we're all connected. So, where you're born, you know, where you live, you are, we're all part of this universe. Um, mm. So you you can uh, you know heal from the land and. If you also that thing about looking after country and it'll look after you, even if you pick up some rubbish along the way or mm. take your shoes off and put your feet on the earth or sit in the silence and just look at a tree, mm. you know, all the birds or something like we're all connected. We all come from the earth and we're all definitely one people. And I think that's what we've got to, you know, remember. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for talking to us. It's been a pleasure. Um, you're a great human being a great addition to Australia and uh, I hope you have many more years to contribute considering your grandma's still alive at 93 years. Let's hope you've got a few more years to contribute. And, and I'm going to give you some advice if you ever come back to Melbourne. I know why you failed in Melbourne. You didn't wear black. I always wore black. You always wore black. <laughs> you thought you had her there, Joe. Oh, I thought I had you there. I mean, uh, I wore Hawaiian shirts for about 30 years before I <laughs> integrated into Melbourne culture. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's your Queensland beer drinking shirts, minus the beer. But um, you know what, Joe? We didn't even talk about anarchism and, and... No, 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 no look, people... It does, it's not maybe a, that's another conversation. Yeah, it's not yeah. about anarchism. This conversation is about you. It's not anarchism. You, you've, you've answered some really difficult personal questions which I think will get a lot of people thinking, and that's what the program is about. It's not about ideology. It's, it's really about individuals and how they live, how they coped, how they made the best of their time on this, on this earth. So I think you're a wonderful um, example of that. And I'm very proud to have been able to chat to you today on behalf of uh, all the listeners to Radical Australia. All the best well, for the future. Thank you. Just remember, Mob, just if you get down on the floor, you've got to pick yourself up again and keep going. We've all done it. And, you know, your ancestors will look after you. Please be advised that the following content contains explicit language. 
They've gone from stealing bikes to stealing lives. So many young hands gripping stainless steel knives. See a kid they don't like, they're messing him up. What's wrong or what's right is giving less of a fuck. Sticking them up, left, right, stitching them up. Everything revolves around getting the cut. Middle fingers up, fist of cuss, pissing it up. Before the pen license, fisting the cuffs. They don't use them to pack shells, they use them to pack cells. Up in the system for they even crack 12. You can paint a pretty picture using Norton pastels, but it's black and white and the ladder still sells. What kind of life is that? They're getting born in town. Teacher can't reach them. I'm getting fucking bored of that. They couldn't spell the name off the bat. I bet you they can tell you where to score a quarter at. They're growing up fast, they're growing up tough. They're giving back everything they never got as a puff. And if they want something, you're giving it up. If they want something, you're giving it up. They growing up fast, they're growing up tough. They're giving back everything they never got as a puff. And if they want something, you're giving it up. If they want something, you're giving it up. They say one bad apple can spoil a whole bunch. What if all you had was bad apples for lunch? What if all you had was all you could touch? And what if before you even had a dream, you were crushed? They weren't raised wrong. They weren't raised at all. You watch the bell break and watch the cradle fall. And now you're surprised when the baby talks and he's asking, what the fuck are you staring for? Where their mothers, huh? Where's their fathers, huh? Here they come with all that fucking drama, bruh. Before you fix them, there's another one. And the problem's tenfold and the learning tricks younger, cuz. What you want ain't always what you get. Sometimes what you get is like a kick to the head. I guess you can chalk it up to cause and effect. But the core is all rotten and they gotta be fed. They're growing up fast, they're growing up tough. They're giving back everything they never got as a puff. And if they want something, you're giving it up. If they want something, you're giving it up. They growing up fast, they're growing up tough. They're giving back everything they never got as a puff. And if they want something, you're giving it up. If they want something, you're giving it up. It ain't worth it. Who cursed it? Point the fingers at the ones who birthed it Brought to earth a brand new person The same ones that called them all worthless And called them good for nothing I call them cousin I call them brother and sister I still love them Brother and sister I still love them Brother and sister I still love them been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.